So from a customer point of view, omnichannel is not per se um, talking about the channels. Uh, it's, it's for me having a seamless and consistent experience um, in, your, in the whole story of, of your brand. And to achieve that as a company, we have to think customer first and speak with one voice to the customer. Hello everyone and welcome on this episode of the House of Marketing's podcast. My name is Jean-Marc. And I'm Eva. And today we meet you again for the third episode of our e-commerce podcast series. Yes. And if you missed the first two episodes, we highly recommend you to listen to them as well. But for now, let's welcome Stephanie, who is meeting us for the e-commerce parameter. So, hello, Stephanie. Hi, guys. So, Stephanie, for those who didn't listen to the two first episodes, can you tell a little bit more about yourself? Yes. So, my name is Stephanie, and I'm a senior consultant at the House of Marketing, where I've been working since 2017. All right. So we actually do this podcast series around the e-commerce barometer that we publish every year together with Safe Shops, right? Yes, it's already the fifth edition that we're doing this with Safe Shops. So each year we publish the e-commerce barometer. And um, what is that concretely? The barometer reveals the performance of online merchants based in Belgium through data we collect from payment service providers. And this year, we wanted to put some Belgian um, e-commerce leaders in the spotlight so they can share with us how they tackle opportunities and threats in this growing but competitive market. All right. I really liked the first two episodes already, so I can't wait to know who we'll meet next. In the first episode, we met Marine Rosé from Casidomi. She told us a little bit more about her business and I really enjoyed listening to it. And the second one, we met Pierre de Greef. So who will we will meet now? Well, in this third episode, we're going to meet Thomas Vaarten from Overstock Home, Overstock Garden and Exterior. So Thomas is sharing with us his vision of a great omnichannel experience. And, you know, while he's managing his team at Overstock, his secrets actually reside in what he calls Coco. You might wonder what that means. It's mm. not Corona. <laughs> and, you know, he tells us how the company has reacted to the sudden lockdown and, and how, as a consequence, but also as a result, the in-store teams helped in stepping up the e-commerce game. Curious to listen to this conversation. Let's go. Hi, Thomas. Welcome on our e-commerce podcast series. It's a pleasure to have you uh, here today. Uh, can you tell me what Overstock is and what your role within the company is? Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Yes, sure. Overstock consists of two retail brands, Overstock Garden and Overstock Home. With the concept of Overstock Garden, uh, in fact, we are market leader of outdoor furniture in Belgium. But we are also expanding to the Netherlands with a brand new concept called Exterio. On the other hand, uh, there is Overstock Home. At Overstock Home, we are the specialist in indoor furniture, mainly focusing on the living and dining room and home accessories in Belgium. Um, at the two Overstock brands, so Overstock Home, Overstock Garden, we focus on a great design, a, modul a modular design, and add a great value for money proposition. And... I'm the marketing and digital director at Overstock for the two concepts. Um, I started my new role 
in September 2020. And um, yeah, my main focuses are uh, marketing, branding, customer experience, and e-commerce. Previously, I was uh, director sales and digital at AS Adventure. So uh, in all my roles that I did in the past, my main focus was omnichannel. Okay, great. And uh, Thomas, can you tell me a little bit like what is making Overstock different um, from other furniture companies? Yeah, there are two, two things, I think. Uh, first of all, we offer modern and contemporary design at a great value for money proposition. Despite of what our name might suggest, we design most of our furnitures ourselves and have it produced by our man partner manufacturers in several countries like France, but also Eastern Europe and Asia. This saves us money on the middleman and ensures full control over high quality standards. The second thing, uh, thanks to our vertical integration, is our modularity and personalized approach. So, for example, um, at Overstock Garden at, and at Overstock Home, uh, you, can, you can buy a table and choose the legs of the table in different kinds of designs and combine it with several types of tabletops in different colors and in different textures. For example, wood, ceramic, marble, uh, stuff like that. Also for the chairs and in, uh, the indoor part, you can combine different legs with different shells and have it upholstered with more than 100 fabrics. That's awesome, I think. But before I started at Overstock, I didn't see that modularity and, and the beauty of the design. Uh, so you might think with the word Overstock that we are selling overstocked products. In fact, it's not. And within the marketing team, what we really need to change is, is the connotation to attract a wider range of, of customers. And that's also why we launched uh, a brand new concept called Exterio. We launched it uh, last year in the Netherlands, but also uh, uh, we opened in December 2020 a brand new concept store with 2,500 square meters uh, in Knokke, uh, where we will be experimenting with uh, multiple concepts and, and see how consumers will react and what we already see now is, is that, that we attract a wider range of consumers, not only the price-sensitive consumers, but also uh, a younger type of, of buyers who are selling or who are uh, buying uh, or, who or who bought a house for the first time and want to, uh, want to uh, really fur furnish their home with our products. I think it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, great. And and I think it's a very bold move to open such a big uh, store during during a pan uh, pandemic. Like uh, yeah, of course 2020 was a very special year. Um can you can you tell me um the impact of COVID-19 on a business and how you 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 have responded to it? Yeah, I think the big word was change. Uh change um at all levels. Um, on the indoor furniture part, uh, we, we needed to close down all stores, also on the outdoor furniture, of course. But for, for buying a, when buying a sofa, uh, you want to really feel the comfort of a sofa. You want to feel the fabric and stuff like that. So, so it was not easy. 
also on the outdoor furniture part, we had some we had some issues. Uh, the demand was really high for some products at the outdoor furniture part, and uh, we saw also this trend at our competitors. So, yeah. It was rather weird that an overstock, eh, with a brand overstock, uh, for some products we really ran out of stock. Um, but thanks to the lockdowns, we could use the expertise of our in-store sales staff team in our e-commerce department um, to improve product content, to help us out with uh, customer service via virtual tours, um, video calls, remote assistance, and stuff like that. And so the flexibility of our sales staff could bring resilience. Okay, that's that's very nice because, yeah, of course, Overstock started as a physical furniture store, right? And and now you're investing more and more in online as well. Um, yeah, you were kind of maybe forced to, but in the end, you know, it, it came out uh, great. Um, do you, since, since when are you thinking about, um, have you been thinking about expanding your e-commerce activity? Did it start it like the past year or was it already something that you were thinking about before? And to be very honest, to be very honest, Overstock is a very traditional retailer. Um, and up till five years ago, they they yeah they they did think that e-commerce was not that important. And at some moment, uh, they they expanded with e-commerce. Three years ago, they hired an e-commerce manager. Uh, but then COVID came, and and we weren't prepared for that. Um, but the good thing was that that things got faster during uh, because of the crisis, and and so we were forced to close all the stores. We were forced to invest uh, lots of money also in the e-commerce and time in the in the e-commerce uh, part to build our e-commerce uh, team faster and and to build our e-commerce business faster. In fact, up until recently, there was also no first-line customer service, and that's that's really bizarre, in my opinion, uh, uh, as as be being an omnichannel evangelist. In fact, um, but now, but now, customer experience is intimately linked to linked to the marketing team, as it came under my responsibility. Um, it was for me crucial. To, to build the customer experience also online via advice, expertise, to increase also conversion, but also to increase our customer experience. Uh, well, you said many things here. Uh, first thing, I'm, I'm surprised to, to see that you went from no first-line customer service to a full-fledged um, e-commerce team. What was import important in that change? I always say I can spend lots, lots, lots of money in marketing efforts when, when, when customer experience is crap, marketing efforts are vain. So we had a customer experience department, of, of course, but um, in fact, for many years, the customer service department was mainly focused on, on escalations, guarantee matters, and stuff like that. So we weren't guiding our our online visitors and customers with their only uh, with their online purchases, and that's really crucial in building up an omni-channel environment. So so for me, it's really important to provide uh, personal advice, uh, also online, 
because also the products we are selling are investment products. And, and that's really important to bring also um, some, some um, intimacy to, to, uh, to the online uh, experience. And by doing that, by creating a full-fledged uh, first-line customer service as well, I think we can manage to create or to, to, um, to meet the expectations of the customers. This is quite an interesting conversation with Thomas Wartin so far. Yeah, I really like it. Yeah, and I, I just had a question for you, Stephanie, because we heard about COVID, of course, and its impact on e-commerce. And then it got me thinking about uh, Black Friday, right? Can you share some insights that we might have from the e-commerce barometer on, on the COVID Black Friday? In the e-commerce barometer, uh, we saw that the sales on Black Friday in 2020 was 2.3 times higher than on a regular um, Friday. Um, was it something that you noticed at, at Overstock? Did you um, do some special actions on Black Friday? Well, the the hardest thing about Black Friday 2020 was was the close the closing down of the stores. So so when you combine uh, your sales your sales were of the offline and the online part, yeah, then then you cannot be happy with the with the Black Friday um, sales revenue. But thinking about the e-commerce uh, sales revenue, yeah, of course, uh, it went through the roof. It was never seen. Um, and, and yeah, indeed, we, we expected this, uh, this huge amount of, uh, of sales revenue and a huge amount of, of demand uh, on the online channel. Yeah, because of the closure of the stores. But, but I hope, let's hope for 2021, we would have uh, a normal Black Friday 2021 and, 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 and we can use the power of the stores and of the uh, online part, uh, providing us with an omnichannel sales experience. That's nice to know that it was still an important year. Yeah, all right. Thank you for the explanation. Um, let's go back to the conversation and to the importance of omnichannel. Okay, so I've understood that you were a fervent defender of Omnichannel. You are saying yourself that you are the uh, Omnichannel evangelist, right? H how do you envision that? I think Omnichannel evangelists, that are big words. Um, but, but it's true that in all my roles I did in the past, um, I was a true, a true believer of, of, of customer-centric approaches and, and a true defender of, of the customer also on board meetings and stuff like that. So, so from a customer point of view, omnichannel is not per se um, talking about the channels. Uh, it's, it's for me having a seamless and consistent experience um, in, your, in the whole story of, of your brand. And to achieve that as a company, we have to think customer first and speak with one voice to the customer. Putting this into practice means that we can't work in silos, for example, on the internal side of things. Uh, that's not omnichannel. We encourage every team member uh, to enter in contact with different teams. And, and, and I always say we have to collaborate and to communicate. And, and, I, and I often call it Coco, um, reminding everyone on the quote of Coco Chanel. Um, yeah, it's not that overstock style, but, um, 
but also to keep a little bit of uh, of posh into into my way of uh, managing. Uh, but the quote of Coco Chanel is uh, is keep your heels head and standards high, and and my colleagues are always laughing with me when I talk about this. But the fact of Coco, uh, the communication and the collaboration, is for me really really important and crucial. Um, so so we organize, for example, also cross-team stand-up meetings to encourage the, the COCO. Okay, I, I like that COCO. I think it serves as, as, a, as a guiding principle, right, to everyone. And it sets like the posh or fun tone, posh like you said it. Um, and, and I think indeed something we often overlook is change management. And, and can you tell me a little bit? how um, it was to go from offline to, to, to online? How was it perceived by the teams? There were some things that I, I, um, I did. I made, the first thing was that I made sure that, that my peers were on board. Uh, so, for example, um, during the board meetings, or, or um, yeah, we, also, we always talk about the customer. Um, I have also weekly meetings with the sales director, buying directors, and st stuff like that. And, and we try to bring a positive message. Um, we didn't want to put everyone, for example, on temporary unemployment uh, during COVID crisis. In fact, uh, for our in-store sales staff team, for example, um, it was an opportunity um, to gain some experience in the virtual or call center way of working. Um, and now I talk to them uh, about their experience of, uh, of, the, inst of, the, of the online um, work that they did. Some say it was awesome, and some others say it was terrible. And uh, yeah, but now everyone has, has seen how online works, and, and, and it really helps To, to in the understanding of the in-store sales staff team into the uh, omni-channel experience and customer can go through. And for me, that was, that was really important, bringing the COCO into action and, and helping the omni-channel way of working into our organization. Mm -hmm. So Bumpy wrote, yes, but an opportunity. Absolutely. Okay. And um, going on, on another subject, um, new technologies, what would you say are some technologies that have streamlined the e-commerce experience? You know, think about AI, voice, AR, VR, chatbots. Um, are you using that at Overstock? At the moment, to be honest, we are not. Uh, there are some other priorities we are focusing on. Uh, what I always say is we have to be careful to implement technology for the technology. Um, it really needs to, to help the customer um, in, and, and it really also needs to help to improve our, our experience online and, and offline to create a unique shopping experience. Chatbots can, can, can be a help uh, in our productivity and expertise level, for example, uh, to, our, to our customer service departments. Uh, augmented reality can, can improve our in-store and, and online experience to increase conversion as well. Uh, but yeah, as I said, to be honest, we aren't there yet. So, uh, yeah, so you talked about increasing uh, com conversion and, and probably also boosting um, repeat purchases. How is it done in the furniture industry? Huh. 
In fact, repeating purchases for investment products is, is not the easiest thing to do. Um, yeah, we still have a lot to, to, to learn and to experiment. Um, however, it's much more easier for, for maintenance products, for example. So if a customer buys an, an, an outdoor furniture set, uh, an easy action could be uh, promoting rain covers, for example, to protect them in, in the winter, for instance. And, and we already have an email flow um, to, to do that, but we, we, can really, really, we can really, really expand it. Another track we are exploring is the cross-sell from the interior business to the um, exterior business. Um, yeah, because we are selling indoor furniture at home and um, outdoor furniture at our garden concept. Because yeah, when you furnish a house, normally you start with the indoor um, part of, of the furniture and then after some time, um, there is the uh, the garden or the balcony uh, that you want to furnish. So also um, in this approach, in this customer journey, we can really expand. Okay. And what would you say are key partnerships for Overstock for oh. all that, yeah, you know, marketing-related matters? In fact, um, there are many, many, many key partnerships. Uh, we have our partner manufacturers, uh, we have our landlords, but also uh, when focusing on, on the e-commerce part, uh, there are some, some key agencies that we are working with, but also our, co our close collaboration with Google is for me very important because Google can also help us uh, with, with expertise and advice into, for example, our expansion strategy. For instance, I can ask to uh, the Google uh, account manager, yeah, I want to expand to, uh, with the online business to France, for example. How, need, how do I need to, to uh, change my uh, strategy, my current strategy, into the expansion to France? So I think Google has, has many insights on this. And by putting all the cards on the table, or not all, but most of the cards on the table, I believe you can, you can achieve more than, we are, than when you are too hesitant uh, to share business insights or knowledge with them. And of course, Google and also every other partner has their own agenda. And for, ex for instance, Google, yeah, of course, they want to increase their revenue as well uh, with online ads. But I think, I still think that it can be a win-win uh, between the partner and the client without being too naive to share it all with them, to put all on the table. Um, but, but that's how I see a, a, a cool partnership is to, to, um, to walk on that line between uh, sharing insights, but not too many. And uh, what about other uh, key partnerships? Uh, let, let's get into logistics, for example. Um, what are, according to you, the main logistical challenges? I think it's, it's really to maintain the standards overall, third-party uh, partnerships. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and, and why is that and how do you cope with that? Huh. The COVID crisis created some challenges regarding the third-party partnerships. So the demand for our products, especially for the garden concept, was, was rather high. And at some moment in time, we couldn't follow. And, and our partners couldn't follow either. 
Our partners are responsible also for the delivery and installment of our products and, and the delays at the side of our partners were there as well. And, and, and yes, it had a negative impact on our customer experience because people often remember only the last part of the customer journey at the last mile. And, and when this part is as at that moment or was at that moment not that good, they don't remember the quality of the product, the, the stores, uh, the beautiful stores, nice salespeople uh, we have, etc. So since we outsource the last part, last mile, we don't have full control on it. Um, so yeah, it's challenging. Um, and by, by challenging that, uh, we try to ensure a smooth delivery by, by, doing, by doing, in fact, three things. Uh, the first thing is, is training. Training for me is, is crucial on the logistics side. Um, we provided uh, the guidelines to our third-party partnerships and, and, and we, give, we gave them training on, for example, how to deal with customers who are complaining, how to deal with returns and stuff like that. The second thing next to training is forecasting. So, yeah, when demand is high or low, uh, we really need to predict how the demand will evolve. Um, so we inform internal and external stakeholders and customers when there will be a delay. Uh, yeah, and that's really important to be proactive instead of reactive in such uh, situations, I think. So the one thing was training. The other thing was forecasting. The third thing was, was yeah, risk avoidance. Uh, we are widening up the range of, uh, of partners we are working with. Um, I also saw that in the fashion industry, for example, they don't want to rely on one a single partner um, in the last mile deliveries. Um, so yeah, we don't want... Uh, in, in our in our case, we didn't want to we to be dependent on one or two partners. And on the other hand, yeah, we want also to increase the ability to to scale up when it's necessary. So those three things are really important for us. Okay. Well, Thomas, thanks a lot for uh, answering all my questions. Um, and I would like to end the conversation by asking you a few questions that I'm going to ask all my guests. Are you ready? I'm totally ready. Okay. Uh, can you tell us a situation at where you have gone over and above for a customer? Oh, that's a really fun, fun story, I think. It was in my time being an e-commerce manager at uh, AS Adventures some years ago, but I still remember it. Um, yeah, I was at some moment, it was Christmas Eve, I was... Um, I was uh, yeah, walking, walking uh, through the office when I heard the customer service team, um, in fact, it was a team lead, having a difficult conversation with a customer who ordered a jumpsuit as a gift for Christmas. And unfortunately, there were some issues uh, with the delivery, so the jumpsuit didn't arrive on time. The good thing was that there was one Believe it or not, that uh, there was one single item that uh, was returned in the warehouse. Um, and the customer's delivery address was on my way from work to home. <laughs> and I heard it, this conversation and, 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 and yeah, what I did was I, I picked a jumpsuit into the warehouse 
And in fact, at 6 p.m. on Christmas Eve, I delivered the, I delivered the jumpsuit uh, at the doorstep of, of the customers. Yeah, the customer was super delighted. And so was I. It was yeah. a really fun story, and 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 I all I often use this this example also at Overstock, for example, to to go the extra mile when it's when it's needed and when it's possible, and and that's that's really important. Thinking on the channel and thinking about uh, Coco um, <laughs> and thinking <laughs> customer centric, going the extra mile at some levels is 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 really important. Yeah, indeed, that's that's really cocoa into action, right? And uh, next question is, how do you stay up to date uh, about e-commerce evolu evolution and, and trends in general? Huh. I would say thanks to a strong network. Uh, um, I always try to be up to date about all uh, e-commerce evolutions, for example. Also close collaborations with, uh, with our key partners uh, and some external agencies as well. Uh, and also to, thanks to Google. Um, I also uh, try to attend, not now during Corona crisis, but uh, normally I try to attend um, some some yearly fairs, uh, such as the Adobe Summit I really like, mm -hmm. uh, the Google Think events, and and some other smaller events, um, yeah, in Belgium but also abroad. So uh, yeah, I really try to 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 uh, to be up to date. Uh, about all e-commerce and marketing trends. Okay, and and on a daily basis, um, do you read some newsletters or maybe listen to some podcasts? Um, do you have some? The the thing is that uh, I don't read any books. Um, so big books, I don't I don't read. I don't uh, I don't have the um, the patience to do that. Uh, but yeah, I read some blogs or uh, I need some some newsletters, uh, for example, uh, some newsletters regarding to to the uh, to the furniture industry, but also into marketing. Okay, and can you tell me a few examples of e-commerce company that inspire you and why? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, first of all. Uh, pure players, online pure players, are an inspiration to me because they don't have um, they don't have the hassle of of the uh, the in store uh, um, stores. Uh, um, so so some pure players in retail like Coolblue, Amazon, Alibaba, Bol.com are really inspiring to me. Everything is so easy and fast. Um, with regards to uh, the customer journey, but also uh, they are have less issues with, for example, dynamic pricing. And when you have source, it's it's uh, much more complex uh, than when you're an online pure player. Also, to name some omnichannel fashion players, I I I would say, of course, is Adventure. My of previous, course. <laughs> uh, with the regards to my previous role, of course, but um, but also Suit Supply is an inspiration to me. Uh, I'm thinking about other sectors in food, for example. Uh, Colroot Group is an inspiration to me because of their power, how how they use their different retail brands and combine all data. 
um, into their extra card, for example. And I think data is is really really important uh, to to help us improve also the the customer experience uh, over all channels. Also in banking, um, I'm thinking about other sectors in the banking industry. Um, I'll be closely watching KBC, for example, uh, about bringing innovation into a very traditional uh, banking environment. So yeah, uh, it's it's for me uh, crucial uh, when you are in retail, not only look to uh, to other retailers, but also look at other sectors. Uh, can be really inspiring. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And uh, maybe a personal uh, online experience as a customer? Yeah, it is in the fashion industry. Um, yeah, it's suit supply. I, I really think uh, suit supply, a big, big brand. Um, in fact, suit supply is also a bit, I compare it often with uh, with Overstock because because it's it's they, they are an omnichannel player. Uh, they have the same experience in store and online. I think we aren't there yet at Overstock, but but the the vision how they want to to provide or to bring design great design at a fair price is in fact the same strategy as we have. Uh, but but yeah, suit supply is really really. Uh, I'm a big I'm a big customer of suit supply to be honest. Okay, great. Well, uh, thank you, Thomas, for sharing all this with us. I think it was super inspiring. Um, I personally learned a lot, so um, thanks a lot. Thank you. I really love this conversation. Yeah, very interesting to meet uh, Thomas. Thank you for sharing, Stephanie. You're welcome. So this was the third episode of our e-commerce podcast series. As you can see, we go in-depth in a situation of one specific actor every time. But if you would like to have a more quantitative overview of the Belgium e-commerce landscape, we're very glad to offer to you it. Yes, right. And if you'd like to download the e-commerce barometer, you can just go to thumb.eu slash ebm and you'll get the report for free. Nice. So you can find the link in the description as well, or that is thom.eu slash ebm. Yes, really go download it because it's so insightful. So thank you, Stephanie, for joining us. Um, I'm looking forward to the fourth episode. Me too. And if you did like this episode, do not hesitate to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. This really helps us a lot and we love feedback. Absolutely. Just give your genuine opinion and we meet you again next week. Bye-bye. Adios. Adios.